Are we back? And we're back. Guess who's back? Back again. Hudson's back. <laughs> Tell a friend. Guess who's back? Guess, Guess who's back? back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? I have no idea what you guys are doing. This is Four Friends Fight About Film, a podcast about movies and things more important than movies if we ever find any. We're back. Welcome back. We're back. Hey, guys. Remember all those people who said we wouldn't make it through one season? Nope. It was my mom, mostly just her, yeah. but this I were, don't talk to her. There were others. Season two, new year, new season of the podcast. Other <laughs> things? <laughs> Clearly, we're a little rusty. <laughs> uh, so since this is our return, we thought that we'd talk about sequels that are better than the originals. So to kick us off, let's say your name and what movie do you wish had a sequel that does not have a sequel? Gibby, kick us off. All right. Uh, this is Gibby. Happy 2017, everybody. How about you know something like Tron? No. Anchorman? Nope. Zoolander? Oh. Um, well, yeah, this, this, feels, this feels scripted. This feels uh, canned. <laughs> yeah, I did it organic earlier. You know, how about The Third Man? Because I always wanted to see a movie called The Fourth Man. The Fourth One, yeah. Or 501 Days of Summer. One More Man. Please don't make that. Uh, Lance? Uh, this is Lance. Schindler's List. I want it to be a revenge movie. I want it to be called Schindler's Piss. <laughs> <laughs> and like, this is where he gets his revenge on the Nazis. And I, I just, I want to see that film. I'm going to go with The Rocketeer. Just uh, one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. It just kind of came and went, but it's a fantastic story. I'd love to see where they would have gone with that one. Great pick. Jordan. What did oh, you my say? name is Hudson. My name is Jordan. It's a mad, 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 mad world. You wanted to be slightly Ew. madder. Oh, yeah, the, a little of, bit angrier. It's a matter, 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 yeah. matter, matter world. Right. Oh. Best picture winner. Mm, no, I don't think so. I think you're thinking of Around the World in 80 Days. Oh, mad, mad, mad world didn't uh, win. Yeah, best picture. Sorry. Start, start on 2017 with some lies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like you. Yeah, we can just get away with anything now. All right, we asked you guys on Facebook what your favorite sequels that are we said sequels better than the originals uh gibby do you want to take this first one jonah berkowitz now be pretty obvious he terminator 2 is such a great movie much better than the original i also really like spider-man 2 toby mcguire movies more than the first one <laughs> jonah's voice has changed since the last time <laughs> we heard from him he's become a man <laughs> uh let's talk about that really quick so terminator 2 is one that we're not going to talk about today but since uh jonah brought it up here let's As talk well about spider-man 2 let's talk about why we are not talking about it we don't need to talk about spider-man 2 but t2 yes well the reason is we 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 did cover it on a previous episode and we are going to have a movie on here that we, have, we have yeah that we've covered before that it's not so much that we've covered it before it's that we kind of covered the same ground i would argue that t2 is not to downgrade it by saying this but it is the most obvious in the list of yeah sequels better than the originals i mean it's far and away better than the original even though the original is great it might still be the best sequel yeah yeah i think it is yeah i think it absolutely yeah. is all right uh jonah wasn't the only one who responded we also heard from amanda rogers who said i'll be doing um, amanda's voice here young guns two praise hands praise hands <laughs> praise hands <laughs> Dead wrong. I, I haven't seen those in so long. I loved both Young Guns movies when I was a kid, so I, I can't really say. Young Guns did not need a guy from New Jersey to, to score it. The first one is perfectly scored. Oh, you're talking about Jonathan fame. Jonathan Jonathan Bon Jovi? Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Bonnet Bonathan Jovi. 
Jonathan Bonathan Bovine, <laughs> the third. Uh, yeah. All right, Lance, you want to take this last one? Yeah. <clears throat> this is Barbara Lee Hess. Aliens was definitely better than Alien. It had a lot more action, better storyline, and you get to see the queen. I think there's a lot of disagreement with Barbara on this one oh, at this table. Whole lot. Sorry, Barbara Lee, but... Uh, well, no. you, you hear it a lot, though. A lot of people, yeah. a lot of people love aliens. Yeah, it's but this this is an example, though. And aliens is not going to be on these lists either because I don't think any of us agree it's better than the first uh, one. I love aliens. Do you love it more yeah, than you, the first one? He hasn't seen, seen the whole the first, first one. one. Me, why, so yes. Why have you only seen yes, the I first do. half of so many movies? Uh, that's a good question. It's a great it's question. Probably, I don't really fall asleep in movies. Either, not though. not that what you're saying is boring. I just but run out he just of falls time. asleep. I don't, I don't, asleep. You don't asleep run out of time because you watch so you see all of so many bad movies and yet all these great movies you see <laughs> half of them. <laughs> I don't understand it. Seems like a priority issue with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. If you want your favorites read on the show in a ridiculously silly voice, you can leave your comments at facebook.com/fightaboutfilm. Did you guys have a hard time with this list, or was this easy for you to put together? I didn't uh, have a hard time. Uh, this one was easy peasy. I had a hard time. I think that there's a lot especially in a certain genre which we'll touch today where the sequels are better than the original i don't think there are that many if i had to make a list of 12 it would be hard for me to do it like we're Three covering we're covering them all yeah I, well yeah. just about i mean i think there were a couple like t2 that we're leaving off yeah. that i think were were pretty easy but why are there so many bad sequels i think they're i think a lot of times they're forced which is right. funny because two of the ones i picked were forced like they don't come out organically because it's a great story it's like oh that movie was a success let's do another one yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's i think also sequels oftentimes just repeat all the same bits from mm-hmm. the first movie right um thinking that that's going to be successful when really they need to go the opposite direction in order to make them work yeah they're I mean, they're not they're rarely made because an artist had something important to say that came, like you said, organically from their mind. Right. When when that happens, it's a, it's usually a trilogy. Right. 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 Which maybe we'll get into. Right. But there's a genre that's an exception. Yes. Gibby, what is that? That would be superhero films. Why are superhero films have more good sequels than any other genre? I think the case is that in the first movie of every superhero superhero film, they set it up. They spend so much time world building and setting up the world. It's the obligatory origin story. Right. right. So if you look at, in my opinion, Spider-Man 2, X2, uh, a couple of the Marvel franchises, the sequels are just better because they're able to get right into the story. All right, Gibby, you're going to kick us off today with your first favorite or your number three favorite sequel that's better than the original. My first pick, we actually talked about the original film in our last podcast, which was way back in 2016, so there's a chance you don't remember it. But that film was Hudson's Choice, and it was Gremlins. (laughs) So my choice surprisingly, is Gremlins 2. This is Joe Dante's 1990 sequel. Have we now covered every Joe Dante movie? <laughs> I think <laughs> just about. I really can't think of any other Joe Dante movies we would How miss. do you think they came Matinee? up with this title? <laughs> yeah. They could have called it Gremlins T-O-O. Yeah, those are my favorite. Gibby didn't actually tell us the whole title. The title is Gremlins 2, oh, the, the New, new batch. batch. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So Gremlins 2. The sequel picks up a few years after Gremlins. Now Billy and Kate, the heroes from the original movie, have moved to New York City and work at some high-tech building owned by real estate mogul Daniel Clamp. The name Clamp. Yeah. I think First, the obvious. Any, any resemblance to reality yeah. TV Obviously, star. it's a tie-in to Trump. Right. His logo, which I know none of you can see, but is an actual clamp clamping the earth <laughs> <Yeah>. and smushing <laughs> it. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So Billy and Kate both work for Daniel Clamp in his high-tech building. Uh, the story starts when Clamp decides to buy a building in Chinatown and tears it down, and Gizmo gets lost and captured. Somehow Gizmo ends up in the same building where Billy and Kate work, and he ends up in a gene splicing lab. And Billy finds him, through and through crazy circumstances, then Gizmo winds up alone, wet, and the little fur balls that pop out of him eat after midnight. 
It's funny how unsurprised Billy is by this yes. strange chain of events yeah. that have like gets my right. As soon as he sees me, he's like, oh, hey, yeah. what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, after that happens, it just the movie just gets insane. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. <laughs> I don't think that word's strong enough. <laughs> uh, it's kind of hard to explain what all happens for the rest of the movie without sounding like a lunatic. But, you know, let's just say there's a flying bat gremlin that well, that's leaves a building weird. in the shape of a bat. How many other movies have we picked with flying bats? Actually, bat all gremlin. bats fly. Give me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said bat gremlin. A bat. gremlin. <laughs> it's a gremlin that drinks brain potion and then begins talking like a civil rights leader. A gremlin who dresses like a lady of the night. Well, my, so my first problem with this is that, so I, I don't know how to categorize this movie. I didn't like it. I didn't understand what was happening. I did know that 30 minutes in, I just wanted it to stop doing what it was doing to me. <laughs> um, I don't know that it qualifies as a movie. And, and I don't mean that as a shot at it. I mean, it starts off as a movie with an actual plot. And then it just devolves into long stretches of plotlessness and weird individual sketches about gremlins doing weird things completely unrelated to any larger story. And Hudson, in our Christmas episode, you did a segment on the first Gremlins movie and made a great observation that it felt like a theme park ride. Mm-hmm. And that was fun in the first film because that theme parkishness was fun and kind of like the icing on the cake of a solid story. The problem with this movie is it's all icing and no cake. And that's fun for about five minutes and then you just want it to stop like forever. But it doesn't stop. It just goes and goes and goes and goes. But I think the point of that is that it feels like an actual gremlins attack. Like it makes you feel like you're experiencing being in the building with the gremlins. But I felt like that in the first one without being annoyed the whole time. It's got these terrible moments in it, like in the middle of the movie where the movie stops because the gremlins have presumably gotten in the projection room. And then we cut to a theater where people are watching gremlins too. And then Hulk Hogan is inexplicably there and yells at them to turn the movie back on. And they do. And it's like, why did they do that? I love that part. I I think that part's amazing. I liked it when I was eight, but when I watch it now and I'm like, what the hell is this? Because you grew up and lost your sense of humor, Lance. But I think what frustrates me the most with this movie is that for every 20 horrible moments like that you get a great joke and you get a satire and that's what they were basically trying to do with this movie right Jim yeah it's a satire like there's there's a moment where they do they do a take on the that great scene from the first film where Phoebe Cates told that horrific story about her dad's (laughs) death on Christmas and why she didn't celebrate Christmas but in this one it's a take on Lincoln's birthday where someone mentions Lincoln and she says don't bring that up it reminds me of this horrible experience (laughs) I had on Lincoln's birthday and she goes into this long rambling story where Billy finally has to stop her and say you know sweetie we don't have time for this (laughs) and that was hilarious and and if it had been more of that I think I would have loved this movie and I think that's what they were going for and I think I admire that they were trying to shake it up by doing a different genre I just didn't think it was very well executed no ideas were shot down for this movie (laughs) (laughs) every single idea that they came up with was accepted shot and included in the film it's true in an interview with the AV club Dante said he finally broke down and agreed to make a gremlin sequel because executives told him if you agree to do this we'll let you do whatever you want he went on to elaborate that he wanted to make a sequel that was a comment in the original picture comment on sequels comment on what the world was like at the time he was obsessed with all things pop culture and by the time Gremlins 2 came out that included the alternatively malevolent malevolent yep (laughs) (laughs) Maleficent (laughs) and adorable creatures he Chris Columbus and Spielberg had made famous so instead of going the usual route and making a sequel that was more or less a remake of the first film he made a movie that was a funhouse mirror version of the original and it feels like no idea for Gremlins 2 was ever shot down for being too crazy extreme cartoonish or preposterous you're right Jordan basically I mean he got to do whatever he wanted and he did. Yeah. 
I mean, there wasn't any ideas that was shot down. I don't feel the same way as Lance about this. I watched half of it last night, and I, I actually had to turn it off. Like, I, Not because I hated it, but because I, I couldn't handle it. Yeah, you got to like, be in the right I, I was tired, and it, it, you know, just like, and I'm around kids all day, and so like, it, yeah. it felt like yeah, that. It felt it like, felt like hanging out with, with kids. Well, it's, it's, it's not just that it devolves into something. that may, Like, Gizmo and Billy disappear for like long stretches of time. It's like yeah. they just ignore that there are main characters and a plot but in this movie. But they're not the interesting characters right. in it. Well, neither... The, the problem is neither are the gremlins, though. That's my issue. Like, nothing's gonna, interesting. Yeah, I'm going to disagree there. I think they're hilarious, and, and it's just... For a few minutes. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to my icing comparison. If you just eat icing, icing's awesome for a minute. After that, you get a headache, and that's what I had by the end of this Don't movie. Don't tell me I oh, get a headache from icing. Yeah. Than... <clears throat> All right, Jordan, you're number three. <laughs> Trivia time. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody know what Friday the 13th part two is a sequel to? No, but the, the I thought the first one was the 13th part. So it's Friday <laughs> oh, that is 13th. confusing. Yeah. yeah. Surprisingly, they haven't made a 13th part. I would, I would, because huh. I, the, at the rate that they were making them, I thought surely they were headed towards some brilliant idea for the 13th. But yeah. But we're getting nope. close on yeah, the Friday be. franchise. <laughs> so you thought, they, Cube movies. you thought they were just yeah. going through the motions of making 12 movies so yeah. they could get to the 13th one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the original Friday the 13th tells a story of a group of promiscuous counselors working to reopen Camp Crystal Lake a generation after it closed because of a double murder and a kid drowned and some other terrible stuff. Friday the 13th grossed over 700% of its budget at the box office, swiftly riding the coattails of John Carpenter's Halloween and the slasher trend. Obviously, a sequel had to be made. There was just one problem. The movie ended with the killer decapitated and the zombie boy in the, in the lake just a dream. Director Sean Cunningham, the writer Victor Miller, and even the now legendary effects man from the original Tom Savini thought a sequel centered around Jason was a stupid idea and wanted nothing to do with the project. So associate producer slash assistant director of the original, Steve Miner, stepped up and took the reins. Friday the 13th Part 2 was born. I love that Like that was like a reason. Like, oh, the, the bad guy died. We can't do a sequel to it because every horror movie where the bad guy dies, there's always a sequel yeah. to it. Yeah, but that hadn't really happened yet. Yeah. This was, okay, so this gets in a little bit of my issue with this movie. I, I watched this last night, and I wish they'd given the story a little better context. Like, what makes the first one work is that it's actually, for a lack of, lack of a better word, realistic. Mm -hmm. and, and the first Friday the 13th, which is a great film, by the way, yeah. It's it's the story of this woman getting revenge for some for her son's death, and it's very grounded. And this one suddenly people are like coming back to life. I guess Jason's been raised from the dead. I, I didn't quite get what was well, going on here. It, and, that, and in that regard, it felt very disjointed from the first film. I'm not saying slasher movies have to be realistic. What I, what I'm saying is it just helps when they're consistent. Right. And this is th there's nothing consistent between the first the, right. the, the, the original and the, and the sequel. And a lot of people complain about that. And a lot of people from the original have long still say that it, the sequel's stupid and shouldn't have happened. I think a, maybe a better way to look at it is it's better to watch this independent of the first one. I actually agree. Huh. The first one is more of a like a murder mystery sort of um, slasher. It is. It is. And I think that was the problem I kept having. It was like the first one felt so, like I said, re realistic. And that seems like a weird thing to call a slasher movie, but that's yeah. what I liked about yeah, it. Yeah. And now all of a sudden I just didn't understand. And again, maybe this is just my brain working too hard in these movies and I need to just relax a little bit but i didn't understand was he a ghost no. was he a demon nobody, nobody knows brought him back nobody I, knows thankfully they didn't explain it they didn't explain like oh he's been living around this lake for 35 years eating <laughs> yeah because he's got a he's got a home like he's got a house known. he lives in he made this like shed right. in the woods like what what does he need to eat like what's his deal <laughs> we don't that know feeding ducks trying to entertain himself <laughs> and in the original which happens i believe in 1978 
he's he's a boy in the end right. when he comes out of the water. And in this movie, he's a full-grown man. Also, no hockey mask. Wait, hockey, mask hockey mask doesn't come until part three. Okay. Oh. So, Jordan, why do you love this one more than the first one? Well, because it sets the stage for what will become one of the most iconic characters, not just in the horror genre, but in all of film history. Jason Voorhees. Great name. Funny thing about the, the great name is that in the original script of the first one, he was named Josh Voorhees, which if he'd been named Josh, I don't, I don't think that we'd have any more Friday the 13th than the first one because no one named Josh is very scary. Huh. Uh, I knew a guy named Josh Wood in elementary school. He was terrifying. Really? Yeah, he was a huh. kind of a bully. Josh, if you're listening, uh, Lance's oh, I'm, I'm bigger now. I'm not afraid of him. I think part two is shot better, especially the third act. The, those shots in the woods are amazing. And that whole cat and mouse sort of aspect of the third when when jason's chasing the final girl is just amazingly well done all of that leads up to this just like crazy climax that's in my mind super creative where the final girl has to she she comes upon jason's house quote unquote and there's a shrine to jason's mother in there who had been decapitated and she puts on his mom's yeah, that was sweater yeah. and and pretends to be his mom and, and sort of gets in the head of jason which is interesting. Uh, something else that kind of tied to that is that in the beginning of this film, they, that when Jason kills the final girl from the first movie to avenge his mom's death, there's a tea kettle on the on the burner on the stove that is this great practical score for that mm-hmm. scene. And he takes it off of the stove so that it will stop. And it, it shows that Jason is isn't this like mindless killer that like Michael Myers is. He likes is. tea just like the next guy. No, he didn't make himself <laughs> tea. He just, he didn't, he, I think he probably just got tired of that sound. Yeah. Sure. And, and wanted to change yeah. it. But it, it shows that he, he's That's got some, reason to murder yeah. somebody. he's got yeah. some yeah. humanity yeah. in him and why he's yeah. doing it. Too much tea. And so it's interesting that then she's able to get inside of his head in a way yeah. that, that they can almost communicate. A question I have about these movies is do actual campers ever attend these camps? <laughs> so these are camps that only seem to have counselors present who are never actually counseling anyone. And this, yeah. So the setup here is that it's a training period for counselors before the campers arrive, right? Is that yeah. right? Yeah, they're about so, to open in another week or and it so. Se- okay, so it seems like being a camp counselor would maybe require about five minutes of training, like read this pamphlet, maybe. But this training period apparently lasts weeks, and it, the training consists of getting hammered, skinny dipping, and having tons of sex. Yeah. And I don't know how valuable those skills are when dealing with campers, <laughs> but you start to understand how with that kind of training regiment, Jason died to begin with, because no one was paying attention to him while he was swimming. Right, that's the whole point. Uh. I mean that that's the that's you just got it man that's the entire uh, slashers in general are the the people who fornicate the people who do drugs the people who all of those people are the people that get killed it's the it's, people who deserve it is that the idea I guess essentially yes the it's the final girl is almost always either a virgin or just very pure in some way I didn't know that camp counseling that that field uh, just attracted such riffraff oh, you yeah. know is that all it is yeah it's hard <laughs> to find a good camp counselor out there all right Lance you're number three three colors red. 1994 Christoph Kozlowski's film. Uh, Red is a French film. It's the third movie in Kozlowski's Three Color Trilogy, which consists of blue, white, and red. America! Not quite. Uh, Each film is dedicated to one of the national colors of France, which represent liberty, blue, equality, white, and fraternity, red. The idea was to look at contemporary French society through a story that dealt with each of these themes. Red tells the story of Valentine, a young model in a loveless relationship, who one day by chance meets her neighbor, a retired judge named Joseph Kern, 40 years her senior. She learns that 
Joseph, a deeply cynical and unhappy man, now spends his days listening to the phone calls of other neighbors, learning their secrets and observing their daily lives from an almost godlike position. Meanwhile, we see the parallel story of Auguste, another neighbor who is Valentine's age, who is studying to be a judge as he deals with his own unhappy relationship. There's a there's a magic to this film that's hard to put your finger on, and we talked in our Christmas episode about how French films deal with themes in a very subtle way and don't force feed everything to you, and I think this is a great example of that. This is also a great example of a trilogy, not a sequel. Yes. Everybody else picked movies that were second well, in the so this series. So this is what's funny. After, so after we started putting thing. these lists together, you guys started coming up with new rules to apply after the fact. No, I think it's from the beginning. We said, let's do sequels. No, you didn't. As soon as I picked them, one of my movies, Hudson, came back and said, well, technically it's a prequel. Uh, well, I mean, it's mean, just... What, is the, what does the word sequel mean? Yeah. Right. It means second. It can mean a cut. No, it doesn't necessarily have to mean second. It can mean a third, fourth, fifth film. I this think is, I, those are threequels, fourquels, fivequels. Those aren't words. So, <laughs> so if I not. said, have you seen the sequel to Friday the 13th, you'd be like, which one? Yeah, I could, technically. And we'd <laughs> what are you going to call it? So you don't think sequel applies to a third or fourth or fifth? Is that what you guys are saying? I'm uh, just saying I'm the not, first thing you think of is the second. Yeah. Just because it's the first thing you think of doesn't mean that's the only thing it has to be. Also, aren't, isn't this series, like, they're not really yeah, connected? they're not even related. I'm getting to that. Oh. Have, have you guys seen them? Nope. So maybe we yes. shouldn't talk about movies we haven't seen. Maybe, well, guys. Maybe, then we wouldn't talk this well, entire podcast. Maybe you make your own we? rules on podcast, <laughs> yeah. Lance. Yep. Maybe we should just say whatever we want to talk about, whatever we want to talk about. Maybe you should lay the groundwork to begin with, Gibby, so I understand your ever-shifting rules for how this is supposed to well, work. Why don't you give me I, that? So Lance, sequel, the point is... Go ahead. Sequel is commonly used to refer to any of the subsequent films made after the original. Commonly or exclusively? There's two very diff- big, big differences there. Commonly. Okay, commonly. So I not think, exclusively. I think, I think the actual definition is the the one is the second one but it n- none of that matters in this case because this is a trilogy which i think is very different and from this is the third in the trilogy with right. sequels yes right. which has nothing to do with the first two films not true also uh you look cameo. you can you can make whatever you can choose whatever you want to you just have to be prepared for us to comment on yes. your choice if you guys had valid criticism i'm more than well you know we willing did. To listen everybody to this. All, <laughs> 11 of the 12 <laughs> movies are number twos Except for this one. Actually, I, I think all the ones give you picked are essentially number two. That doesn't make the two. choice invalid. It just means it's different than the other 11. <laughs> do you guys want me to, do you want to just start the show no. over? We can you just like do the new movies? <laughs> yeah. All right. Also, one's a prequel. So. Okay. You done? But <laughs> yeah, at, least second, yeah, know, at least we'll it was see. the second movie uh, in the series. Uh, Red, the sequel, is a film that deals with the connections between people's <laughs> lives. The excitement of made connections. Are you starting all over? <laughs> no. no, you douche. I'm trying to keep going. It deals with the connections between people's lives, the excitement of made connections and the tragedy of misconnections, how destiny and fate play with us and repeat themselves. And one of the most interesting ideas is this relationship between a man and a woman who are 40 years apart in age. And it seems to be suggesting that had fate dealt them a different hand, these two would have fallen in love and been together. This feels like a film I could watch a dozen times and keep discovering new things. Yeah, I, I agree about they that. They have a smart ass comment they want to no, put in there? No, this actually sounds awesome. Yeah, here's my I comment. I, I actually known. watched this movie on like the oh, other half wow. of this table. How, how, what a novel idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah, love and I loved it. Yeah, this sounds great. Roger Ebert included the three colors in his great movies list. And in his write-up, he called blue the anti-tragedy, white the anti-comedy, and red the anti-romance. And this highlights one of the interesting things about this trilogy, which is that each story not only plays in a different genre, but really tries to turn that genre on its head and do something unexpected with it. And in that regard, it's very rare among sequels and trilogies. Now, let me address something that you raised a minute ago. It would be argued by some on this show, in fact, <laughs> that this is, is not a true sequel and that the stories are independent of one another. But this is not entirely true. 
In quick moments, we do see the characters from other films on each of these movies, and all three films are tied up in a final unifying moment at the end of Red. That is so strange, but awesome. It is. But super strange. It can be watched without having seen Blue or White, that is true, but it's not as satisfying an, an experience. And the moods set in each film are, I believe, very intentional and meant to be seen in the order in which they are released. Uh, I loved all three. However... I don't think red is the best one. What's you're going blue. I'm going you? blue. I knew blue you were going to love blue. Red to me was as much as I loved it, a very like filmmakers film. Mm-hmm. And, and he actually retired after red, right? Well, he actually died after well, red. He died two yeah. years later, but he yeah. like wow. at, when he went to Cannes with this movie, he announced that he was retiring he from filmmaking. And uh, apparently he did that be, partly because he felt like, I don't remember what the number was. It's either like 50 or 70% that he felt like he had achieved of his vision and that he wasn't ever going to do better than that. Right. That Red was his masterpiece. But he didn't think it was perfect. He thought it was like half right. perfect yeah. or mostly perfect. And so he quit. And and it's got some crazy ideas in it. It's got mm. a, it's a very layered. It's got a ton of depth. Red is generally Colors considered... Colors don't bleed. Huh. Colors don't run. Damn it. There you go. <laughs> It sucks when I have to correct your jokes. Uh, red is generally considered the best of the three, but there are a lot of people who really love blue, and I understand why. Yeah. Blue's a great film. I think white is the weakest of the three. I agree. Hudson it's, and Gibby would a, probably love it because it's the romance love one. It's so strange. That's the one I've seen, and I don't remember a single no. thing about it. It's it's great, but it is super weird. Yeah. Uh, but I think all three should absolutely be watched. Yeah. I, I think if you watch Red, you're... you're I'd say all three should be watched by everyone at this table. Oh, I I don't don't get everything I want, do I? I? All right, my number three sequel that I think is better than the original, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Uh, Captain America, The First Avenger is one of my least favorite Marvel movies. And generally, I love period action adventure. um, So I was very excited about when it came out. But the problem is, is I just find the character of Captain America to be so bland. I didn't even like him as a kid. I thought thought Captain America was was the dumbest. There's not much to it. I I would disagree with you a little bit. The first Captain America is half of a great film. The the first half is... The first half. You and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. If the first, second half had been as good as the first half, I think it would be arguably the best Marvel movie. The second half drops off so much that it makes the entire movie just kind of fail in my opinion yeah i um i'm not sure i fully agree with that i mean i still was a little bored in the first half of captain yeah. america but it was at least more interesting i mean but and then again it was an origin story it's just where they took it after that um it's yeah. a re- it, the first half is a really funny movie though especially watching him have to have to become this like advertisement for the right, army yeah that stuff was it. great i like i loved that stuff yeah. that was great and, yeah. and i think it gave dimension to a character that i agree with you guys is otherwise pretty bland mm-hmm. yeah so in winter soldier i'm not sure the character himself got much more interesting but they at least put him in interesting situations uh first of all he's now a man out of time so where his ideals the things that he would sacrifice his life for are now laughable the love of his life is now elderly and dying his best friend who he felt guilt over uh his death is now um still alive but a bad guy uh and the institution that he believed um in so blindly shield is ripped apart from the inside um so they just created this world that made captain america more interesting by taking away all those kind of comfort zones add in a few interesting sidekicks with black widow and falcon you've got a cool man on the run movie and i think that's where captain america shines best yeah i like this this is one of my upper echelon of marvel movies agreed Hmm. fist bump so um (laughs) the film was directed by joe and anthony russo who were best known at this time for directing comedy tv but they put on their big boy pants here with confidence, um, adding a bit of grit to Captain America while keeping the action set pieces and humor that makes a Marvel film a Marvel film. Uh, I, the, uh, I, I, I love this reaction. There's so many... I, 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 my, I guess my problem at this point is like, I, I just, I'm so over these Marvel movies. There's just, I feel like I'm watching, and you've heard me say this before, but 
it's it's the same canned movie over and over and over again. And I, I don't feel like this movie did anything fresh, unique, interesting. I, just, I feel like I'm watching just the Hollywood machine working here. And I get the same general beats over and over again. It's a problem. He's conflict. He's losing faith in something. There's a big CGI battle. He's okay at the end. I, I'm not going to disagree it's better than the, than the first one. I think that's more a function of how bad the first one is, though, compared to how good this one is. Uh, again, though, th- you guys are more into these movies. I mean, I, 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 I'm going to see all these movies because there are a couple of Marvel movies I think are fantastic. The first Iron Man was amazing. Mm-hmm. The Agreed. first Avengers was amazing. I mm-hmm. thought the first the first Thor was surprisingly funny I mean there there are good things in this but this is just becoming such a like like I feel like at Marvel they're just really struggling at this point how to figure out to keep these things fresh and this was one of the first examples to me of where they have it started to get really stale what's funny is you say that this was the first one it started to get stale I thought this was the first one where it started to get unstale you thought you didn't think Ooh. Iron Man was good no I mean all right so I thought it started off on a pretty good high with Iron Man and then Thor but then, like with Captain America and Avengers and Iron Man 2, certainly, and uh, whatever came after that, I thought it kind of got stale. They did run the same repetitive uh, plot over and over again. But I thought this was one of the first ones where it kind of got grittier. These movies are funny to me, though, because it, it just seems to me like no matter how bad they are, America just rushes to the theater to see them. And yeah. it's it's annoying. But You rush to the theater to see them. I wouldn't say I rush. I tend to watch all of them just because I'm, I'm curious. The first weekend they're out. I'm curious. No, so that's, that's not what's true. called rushing. That's not true. <laughs> Pretty sure you saw Civil War the first weekend. I think in my head when you said that, I imagine myself physically running to the theater, like full yeah. sprint. <laughs> like noon, like from work. Yeah. I think I think what it is, Gib, I think the reason I keep watching these movies is because I, f- I, I don't understand what I'm missing. Yeah. Like, well, okay. So I'm going to get, we're going to cover another, well, I think two more superhero movies uh, in this podcast. So I'm going to get into this a little bit more later in terms of defending these types of movies but I, I do think that they are able to say a lot more and able to talk about a lot more than you're giving them credit for. I, I think they can yeah I think they absolutely can they're just not that's yeah. my problem with them but I do think that this movie uh, does ask questions um, kind of about our belief systems and what's really important to us and that's kind of the theme that runs through Captain America both in this one and in uh, Civil War that came after good choice <laughs> All right, Gibby, your number two. So my number two film. This will come no surprise as all you uh, Gibby fans out there is a is an animated (laughs) film. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a big segment of our listenership? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it might actually be. No, it it is. is. It is. But this is not Pixar. I tell. I I have gotten. I have gotten texts and emails from people like, "Why are you being so mean to Gibby?" (laughs) (laughs) It's just our thing. Gibby's everybody's favorite. So it's an animated film, but not Pixar and not even Disney. My pick is Shrek Two. The 2004 sequel to the Academy Award winning Best Animated Picture of 2001, Shrek. So, quick recap of the first movie Shrek's an ogre who meets a talking donkey, falls in love with the princess, who then turns into an ogre at night, but by the end, they love each other. So, Shrek 2 goes in a completely different direction. And that's one of the reasons I think I like this so much. It doesn't just retell the story of Shrek 1, which is a fear of any sequel and also a fear of a problem with a lot of the animated films out there. Uh, in this one, so Shrek and Fiona are married, and they go to meet her parents. It doesn't go well. And then the movie introduces us to what I think are three all-time great characters in animated films. Uh, Fairy Godmother, played marvelously by one of the absolutely fabulous ladies. <laughs> Prince Charming. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Sounds like some solid yeah. prep behavior. <laughs> Jennifer Saunders. Played is by name. one of the great ladies. <laughs> one of the great ladies from that show that's British and British people The great love. ladies of Earth. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> French Charming, 
Uh, Dumb But Pretty, oof, voiced by Rupert Everett. And then Antonio Baird and Darius, in my opinion, almost steals the whole movie. As These a are three of the greatest characters but, ever put on film. This is an animated, animated film. Okay, still, still, uh, still a weird thing. They're great. <laughs> yeah. the, is, uh, so if you made a list of like the top ten animated characters, three of them would be from this movie? <laughs> I didn't say top ten. <laughs> you said all-time great. That's going to be pretty close to it. Yeah, like all time top 400. So just in general, I've never really loved the first Shrek movie. People went crazy over it when it came out in 2001 and it won the best animated picture over a much more deserving Monsters, Inc. I could not talk about Pixar in this film. There we go. Yeah. Yep. But I think that Shrek 2 does what great sequels should do, and it tells a new story. It amps everything up and expands this world that we met in the first one and just went out for all these crazy comic set pieces. The movie just makes me laugh. Um, it's definitely a comedy more than, I mean, you know, something yeah. serious storytelling. I was going to put this on my list, and then I remembered I'm not seven years old. So I, I had a question for you, though. How hard you had to have wanted to put a Pixar movie on this? Because there, there were actual. Yeah, why good, is it not Toy Story 2? Yeah. Don't you like Toy, but see, Toy Story no, 2 and here's, 3? Here's more? my theory. Okay. You tell me if it's correct. You got ripped on so much for doing <laughs> Pixar in our first season that you were just kind of like, ah, I don't know if I want to go that route. Well, did that have anything to do with it? Pixar no, last I think season 2. Out of number twos, the topic that we had discussed, we were discussing. Well, yeah. So after, I didn't, after I picked things you didn't if like, I had to pick, but now, if I had to pick. Post Pixar, I'd say Toy Story three would make it, but I didn't do oh, it. Oh, but you I like Toy Story better than Toy Story two? Yes, yes. I, I agree with him there. I think I don't understand the Toy. My story. Toy Story list would go Toy Story three, Toy Story. Toy Isn't Story it awesome two. that this this has now morphed into a Pixar <laughs> segment? <laughs> Monsters yeah. Monsters University was not better than Monsters Inc. And uh, Cars Cars two was not better than well Cars two was well they're both awful. I do I do remember it. liking this movie, um, and and I do kind of agree with you, Gib. I think the first Shrek is a little bit overrated. I, I would need to go back and revisit visit them both to say if I really think it's better than oh, the that's first what we one, do for this podcast not revisit them both mm-hmm. I did you went back and watched Shrek 1 no I haven't seen either of them okay. <laughs> I haven't seen any Shreks <laughs> good comment Jordan but I watched three French films that I hadn't seen and I watched the first and seconds of all the ones I could okay um, but, but not so I could compare I, them I like do wish that we could have seen you know famously um, Chris Farley Chris Farley <laughs> yeah was uh, the original voice of Shrek and he uh, passed away during the production of it and so Chris Mike Myers. Mike Myers. <laughs> it's like old, I'm in your head. Oh, Chris Mike Myers. <laughs> Chris I, Myers. Mike Myers came into uh, voice, and I and I would I I think the voice is so obnoxious in this movie. The whole like Scottish thing that he's yeah. doing. I wish I would have loved to have seen what Chris Farley totally, take on this. Totally yeah. agree. With you. I think that's one thing that has always annoyed me about Shrek is I don't like his voice. And yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's what Shrek Two does a great job of is. These other characters come in, and I mean, Shrek's not, I mean, he's the main guy, but he's not really. There's so many different plot lines and stories going on. I do want to bring up a scene in this movie that there's probably about five different scenes of movies I can remember in my life where theaters just went crazy and lost it. And this is, this is, I mean, I mean, and one of them yeah. Shrek too. They started pushing it. Yeah. Are so you I picturing saw Shrek. that scene out of Airplane? Yeah. Like, Everybody goes crazy. Yeah. One was in Nutty Professor, which we saw together. What? Yeah. What that, low that whole, audiences Hercules. are you hanging out with? Yeah. No, you were with me when we saw him. We've well, I guess those audiences include yeah. me. <laughs> uh, and the other, it, this Shrek has one of them. It's the scene towards the end when they're all in the, the prison and they're trying to get Pinocchio to have his nose grow so they can bring a key down for their for their. Uh, so they make him handcuffs. lie? Yeah. How Shrek. is it that every time you describe a scene, it, it sounds like the craziest, <laughs> most ridiculous scene that's ever happened in a movie? I don't know. I just remember this part and just the audience going crazy. Oh, quick, tell a lie. Hello. What should I say? Anything but quick. Say something crazy like I'm wearing ladies' underwear. I'm, I, uh, I'm wearing ladies' underwear. Are you? I'm a 
most certainly am not. It looks like you most certainly am all. I am not. What kind? It's a thong. Ow! Their briefs are not. Are too. Are not. Are too. All right, here we go. Hang tight. I'm gonna say something controversial here. Ooh, maybe, bad maybe, boy. maybe it's not that controversial because like I'm, I'm really I, not that. I imagine controversial. you just says like a really sexist comment that has nothing to do with movies. <laughs> or he's like, I wear ladies' underwear. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Shrek Two is one of the twentieth, twenty funniest movies I have ever seen in my life. Is That's that, that not controversial. Per, yeah, who's, that, who's that controversial? Like, like uh, who? I guess you could find that controversial. Yeah. We can't. <laughs> <laughs> you mean we should judge you for that because it's like a kid's movie. I don't, yeah, like I don't you know what makes you laugh. Well, why do you like a kid's movie? All right, because so that's all you like is kids' that's movies. That's the problem. It's not you like kids' movies. That's all you like. <laughs> we are moving on to Jordan. You're number two. Well, speaking of Shrek, in, in this next movie, Christopher Walken plays a character named... Shriek. Nope. Max Shrek. Shrek. Max Shrek. Speaking ah, of Max. Max. You guys know it's okay to not have a segue between everything, right? Yeah, but it makes okay. it so much better. Oh, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Speaking of Max, what? I have a movie about a Max oh, later on. Right, but we're not segueing out of Batman Returns already. <laughs> we're, not, we're not segueing, segueing four segments ahead. <laughs> After the massive success of 1989's Batman and then the brilliant Edward Scissorhands, director Tim Burton headed back to Gotham for Batman Returns. This time, a sinister penguin man from the depths of Gotham's underground partners with a corrupt businessman, Max Shrek, to rule the city. Batman obviously fights to save his town, but the plot thickens with a freshly conceived Catwoman on the prowl. But this one is so much meaner and nastier and gnarlier. It's bursting with creativity, things that must have looked silly and ridiculous on paper, but with Burton's vision, it delivers absurdity with so much heart and talent that it's remarkably effective. Isn't that a common trope with Burton, too? This shouldn't work, and then it totally does. Yeah. Like, think, Michael Keaton as Batman should not have worked. It totally did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and, and the penguin, like, it's just all absurd. That There's a scene near the end where when, when the penguin dies, spoiler alert, where penguin, just like random penguins come out of the wall, and, <laughs> and they don't touch him. But the, as they walk beside him, he moves with them Magnets, and just yeah. into the water. Like it's slide. so, it's just, it's absurd, yeah, it's, it's but it works. It's a strange movie. It works. I, I kind of disagree with what you'd said earlier about this being, you know, very similar to the 1989 Batman and kind of the same universe and same sort of thing. I, to me, it felt totally different. Really? It felt like in the 1989 Batman studios, like, well, Burton, just make a superhero movie and kind of had his handcuffs on and this one they just like kind of like gremlins 2 they took it off and they're like do what you want i think that's why this movie is not as well regarded by mainstream audiences i agree i think it's a great movie but in the first film burton kind of reined in the burtonness the first movie is a batman movie directed by tim burton whereas the second movie is a tim burton movie that happens to feature batman that's yeah good. Um, that's good so going from the first film to the second one he just didn't hold back his style at all and i think for a lot of people it drowned out the batman aspect of it right now for a lot of people that's fine i think everybody at this table would probably yeah, agree okay. with that i love burden i think that his strange quirkiness is is awesome but if his style isn't your cup of tea which i don't think it is everyone's this film was less likely to work for you because you just wanted a batman movie and you felt like you didn't get it at least not in the same way you got the first right. the first one sure another huge part of this is is the casting and the performances i mean michael keaton danny devito christopher walken and a spectacular michelle pfeiffer i think put on some of the most fantastic acting of their careers which is kind of ridiculous because it's Batman, but they give these comic book characters real weight and emotion. I think especially Michelle Pfeiffer is just 
absolutely yeah, mesmerizing in this movie. I think that Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie was in the same way that that what's that famous poster, Farrah Fawcett? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sexual I think awakening. This was like the sexual awakening yeah. for a lot of like yeah. kids in their teenage years. And, and it's I, a real twisted one. It's not just some hot lady in a bathing suit on a poster. This is a it is, dominatrix but, violent. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, for I think for a lot of guys, this was the moment where that light bulb went on. And, oh, women. I don't know about you, Miss Kitty, but I feel. So much yummier. The first Batman always felt a little too cartoony. And this one I feel like has this like layer of slime and grime that just makes the whole thing more interesting. The first one has Joker's over the top like caricature. It's it's just a little like it doesn't really land with me. But with this one, it has this like complex web of villainy um, and this like seeping, oozing underbelly of sadness that even extends to to Bruce and Batman. That, that really works. I feel like Burton bites down to the center of the Batman character and the universe that he lives in. It, the mix of his duty and sadness and despair and good versus evil and loneliness with the bat and the cat weaving back and forth, mirroring each other, both split and faced with deciding who and what they want to be. Um, <laughs> leading up to a great scene where Batman unmasks himself to, to show himself and they, they are able to see each other. They reveal themselves to each other, him and Catwoman, that I think is awesome. Bruce, I would, I would love to live with you in your castle. Forever just like in a fairy tale. I just couldn't live with myself. So don't pretend this is a happy ending. Selena. Selena Kyle. You're fired. And Bruce Wayne. Why are you dressed up like Batman? Because he is Batman, you moron. Was. Yeah, the, the, the thing that makes Batman as a, as a comic work so well, especially I, I think most people would agree that Batman has the best villains of most any comic book here. And, mm-hmm. and, and the reason is that it's, it's a very psychologically well-structured thing because each of the villains he faces play off some part of his psyche. Mm-hmm. The Joker plays off his seriousness and his, you know, how solemn he is. Uh, Catwoman plays off the fact that he's a single man and he, you yeah. know, he doesn't have a partner. Um, I don't really know what the penguin plays off. Oh, well, of, but they have similar origin stories it, where yeah, the penguin right. is, right. is abandoned as a child and, and right. Bruce is a, is an orphan. And, mm-hmm. and so both of these characters are great because they're playing off something about Bruce Wayne and bringing something out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, can we play that, uh, final penguin, uh, clip where he's given that final speech? Cause it always annoyed me because I just wanted him to clear his throat. <laughs> Like, dude, just clear your throat before you die. It's like yeah. annoying. He might be the grossest yeah, character gross. of all time. Disgusting. I mean, the entire yeah. thing is Every just time disgusting. Every he eats a fish. Well, the, like, the, the, the scene where he comes down to announce that he's running for man. No, no. The scene where he comes down to that surprise party. Yeah, and he bites and, the guy's nose. But he's coming down in his pajamas, which are it's dirty disgusting. and disgusting. You know what it looks like? It's, it's the guy from Seven. The first guy who died <laughs> yes, in Seven. Yes. That's what it reminds yeah, me yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, But he's, he's holding this fish, and he's got this raw fish in his mouth like just, that he's chewing, and it's just like dribbling out and it's i mean it's disgusting and then he bites the guy's nose yeah, and there's yeah. blood going everywhere like it, it's just 
disgusting. And, and when he bleeds, it's, his blood is black or something yeah, for some yeah. reason. I don't quite yeah. get that. So, Lance, for your second pick, not only did you choose a prequel, but you also chose a movie that we've already talked about on the podcast. So, once again, there was no rule set forth. We couldn't repick a movie, but here's why I did this. When we talked about this movie, it was in which it was in our disturbing, disturbing. episode. Which, first off, the fact that this movie disturbed you was so stupid to begin with, but... <laughs> <laughs> Putting that aside, um, we talked about it from a very different angle, and I'm okay repeating films as long as we're talking about different aspects of them. So, yeah, obviously, because you repeated This is like your third repeat. What were my other two? Back to the this future. This is like your second repeat. There you go. Are you guys done? You want any other criticisms? No, no. Because no. I've no, got a few criticisms. I, I, I think this was a perfectly valid choice because it is an it, awesome this movie. This one's not better than I like the first more. one. Too. Well, uh, let me also point out this wasn't my first choice. So uh, the only reason I picked this is because you forced me into a corner, and we'll get into that in your next segment. So <laughs> Temple of Doom. You're going to sound like dumb after yep. it, yeah. Temple of Doom, 1984 Steven Spielberg film, follows the story of archaeologist Indiana Jones as he stumbles upon an ancient palace deep in the jungles of India, along with Willie Scott, an annoying lounge singer and his love interest, and his sidekick Short Round, who looks eerily similar to one of the Goonies. He, do- he discovers the secrets hidden deep in the catacombs of the palace, including black magic and the enslavement of local village children. Any smart comments, or do I get no. to keep going? Cool. I don't know why you think she's so annoying. <laughs> she's annoying, I but know. I love her. Spielberg loved her enough to marry her. Yeah. <laughs> Is this the uninteresting fact part of the show? <laughs> Sometimes I'm asked what I think the greatest film of all time is. And whenever I get that question, I have to make an important distinction between movies I think are great technical achievements and what I just pers- personally love to watch. Uh, the first category is objective and debatable. The second is subjective and entirely not debatable because it's based on taste. So I'm never able to provide a single answer to that question because I think it's a matter of perspective and what we're talking about when we use the word greatest. And, and I'm raising this distinction because I know there are people both listening to this and sitting at this table who are ready to jump down my throat and argue that Temple of Doom doesn't hold a can to Raiders and how dare I include it on a list of superior sequels. And from the first perspective, technical achievement, blah, 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 you're absolutely right. The Raiders is the better film. It is one of my favorite films of all time. But if you ask me which Indiana Jones movie I want to watch the most just for pure fun, it's hands down Temple of Doom. I find, it, I find it to be more enjoyable, exhilarating ride. It's one of the three films, and I'm intentionally saying three films. Even though there are four. Nope. Yes, there are. That I'm most likely to pop in the Blu-ray player on a Friday night. Now, what I am going to argue is two things that Temple of Doom does do better than Raiders does, which I think plays at least somewhat into my enjoyment of it. And and first, this movie more accurately captures the heart of the old adventure serials that inspired the movie. So I think it is truer to its source material. Hmm. Second. Hmm. Yeah, those ones that you watched all the time in the early 80s. How how does whether I watch it or not change whether it's true? No, go ahead. Yeah, okay. Because if you watch them... Gibby? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> Gibby'd gather around the old radio back in the 30s and listen to the old serials. Alan Quartermain. <laughs> Second, I find this to be a much more interesting character arc for Indiana Jones than Raiders is. This is a prequel to Raiders, and in Raiders, Indiana Jones starts the movie off as someone with a deep respect for his field, and at the end, he's pretty much the same guy. There's no change. In this film, we see how he became that guy as he starts off the film as a very selfish, vain treasure hunter. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. And by the end, becomes someone with a higher ethic. And in that regard, I think it's a much more satisfying story arc for his character. That's an interesting point. I think that's an actually good point. I disagree with all the rest of it. I don't. I, I, just in the way that I think Raiders is by far a better movie. Not not just technically speaking, but I think story-wise. And also, the movie I would rather put on and watch in, on a random afternoon would be Raiders. Let, by me, far. let me ask you a question then. And, I, and, I, because, and, and I'm asking this sincerely because I never get a good answer to this question. What do you not like about Tipple of Doom? That's a good 
good question. I don't know. I mean, uh, some of it, I think, is it, it it's a little more episodic than Raiders is. Raiders kind of this straight story, whereas Temple feels like they're stopping off at each little yeah. stop along the way. I feel like that's true of Raiders, though, to yeah. a certain extent. Especially, I don't remember if we talked about this on Disturbing or not, but especially since there's like no uh, explanation of transportation between scenes, like when he rides on top of that submarine through the ocean. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and to be clear, there, there's no need to debate whether Raiders or Temple is a better film because I'm not even arguing that. I, I understand from your perspective why you like Raiders better. Wait, I what, thought this was sequels better than their original. For me, or for, for me, Lance's for me, prequels or third movies. Yeah, yeah, I didn't follow all the rules Gibby came up with weeks after we came up well, with this. Lance's argument is that he likes it better. Yeah, I also like saying, it better. That's what I'm saying sure. subjectively from my perspective, sure. but if you want to argue in the film canon, which was a more important film, a more impactful film, hands down it was Raiders. Sure, I mean, Ra- yeah. Ra- Raiders is, is probably in my like top 10 I mean as far as just great movies but again it depends on what you mean when you say great and and to, and I think the 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 frustration I have had with people talking about Temple of Doom, I, I don't get why people don't like it. It doesn't either. make sense to me. I don't either. Especially with the mine shaft train car scene, or yeah, what do you? I don't yeah. know what you call those things. That's like one of the most exciting and yeah, the whole ridiculous yeah. oh, scenes awesome. of any movie. The whole I mean, it, third act is great. It's incredible. I think part yeah. of what surprises thing. me about you not liking Hudson is because it, it does capture that Amblin spirit to me, and, and and you love those movies, so it seems strange to me you wouldn't like this movie more. And again, I'm not arguing you should like it more than more than Raiders, but People not only don't like yeah. it as much, they like hate it. Well, and I, don't, yeah. I don't understand that. One either. thing that I really appreciate about it, appreciate about it, it is it's not a sequel that did exactly what the first one did. And so I love that they went a different direction with it. But we talked about that. Those the parts, first one has plenty of silliness. Yeah, yeah, well, that, but also I feel like the silliness is not. First, it fits the material, it fits what they're trying to do. So mm-hmm. I think it works, like it's organic. But also, it's not throughout the film. It's just constant silliness. Right. My number two pick is Star Trek Into Darkness. So you either love J.J. Abrams or you hate his endings. Uh, or um, you just hate pretty much all of his movies. <laughs> I think there is a different option. Uh, he, a, he tends to start movies okay, and then he just goes in the uh, wrong I direction. See, I'm, I'm a huge fan of everything he's done on both big and small screens. Um, however, That's I, mind-boggling to me. I found, and, and I don't like lens flares. So oh, that's I, fine. I, <laughs> I there's, found there's the, a couple um, of those. The 2009 Star Trek reboot he did, I found to be lacking. You mean, you mean Star Trek 90210? <laughs> <laughs> Most people seem to love it. I think the first half is a great introduction to the world, but then uh, I had a bland villain. I felt like the connection to the previous films with Leonard Nimoy were really kind of shoehorned in. And the second half quickly falls into these series of like coincidences that gets our heroes in and out of trouble with no actual work. I just felt it was kind of a, a bit of a lazy movie. Um, however, with Star Trek Into Darkness, I felt like they really ramped it up and started to explore the faults in these heroes and also giving us a fantastic villain with Benedict Cumberbatch playing John Harrison. Uh, so I grew up on the next generation, so I never had any strong feelings one way or the other about the original series. I had seen Wrath of Khan, but it was far from my favorite's Trek film. And they were able to keep it a secret during filming, making it a twist in the film that John Harrison was actually Khan, uh, making this both a sequel to the reboot and also somewhat of a remake of the sequel to the original Star Trek. I agree with everything you said. I did not like the first Star Trek movie. Um, I thought this was a much better film. What I'd like to ask you is why are we talking about this and not Wrath of Khan? Wrath of Khan sucks. That's why. So he let, likes it better than like Wrath of Khan. He already said that. So let, let me let me explain. My original choice for my number two slot was Wrath of Khan. And as soon as I put my list out, Hudson goes, no, I'm going to pick Star Trek Into Darkness, no, which has the I, same I, f***ing in villain. In fact, and I same said... F- 
I'm going story to pick Star Trek and Darkness story. because it's I think totally it would be interesting story. to talk about both Wrath okay, of Khan so, and Star so Trek and Darkness. Here's why I want to challenge you. Tell me what on earth is interesting about that. Go. Well, we can talk about what we're talking about right now. We can compare the two movies. We can compare the storylines. We can compare how Khan was portrayed in each one. We yep. can compare what made them different. Why what is that made interesting? Them the same. Who cares? Well, we, Jordan I think, and I I think three of us thing. at the table think that would I be think, interesting. Okay, yeah. go for it. I tell you what, have an interesting conversation about this. I'm dying to hear this. I can't because I haven't seen Into Darkness. All right, so... <laughs> well, here's why I love this movie. So to me, I mean, first of all, I just think it's a, a flawless action adventure movie. So I love the twists and turns and set pieces. But what really made the film stand out for me was the emotional core of the film, uh, which really just seemed to rise and fall pretty steadily from the from the very beginning. Like the man in the beginning who sacrificed his life for his daughter, to the death of Kirk's mentor, to the romantic journey of Spock and Uhura, to Kirk's hu- hubris uh, leading to the destruction of his ship, to Khan's mission of saving his species, and ultimately the sacrifice and respect between best friends Kirk and Spock that I just really connected to this story emotionally in a way that I haven't to other Star Trek stories. And to me, what makes me love a film is whether or not I connect with it emotionally. And I especially connected to Spock in this film, who, as he was taught all his life to kind of guard against his emotion, and he ultimately learns to embrace them, which I feel is like a, a very personal story for me um, in my own life. Because um, your mom said, do not be sad. Do not feel sad. anything, <laughs> ever. No, and there's a great line in here after Uhura lays into um, Spock for almost sacrificing his life with seemingly no regard for his friends, Spock says, You misunderstand. It is true I chose not to feel anything upon realizing that my own life was ending. As Admiral Pike was dying, I joined with his consciousness and experienced what he felt at the moment of his passing. Anger, confusion, loneliness, fear. I had experienced those feelings before, multiplied exponentially on the day my planet was destroyed. Such a feeling is something I choose never to experience again. Nyota, you mistake my choice not to feel as a reflection of my not caring, while I assure you the truth is precisely the opposite. And that line really killed me because, again, I feel like in my own life of of having experienced pain uh, as a child and trying to cut off emotion, it wasn't because I didn't feel it. It was the opposite. It was because I, I felt it overwhelmingly that I had to cut off emotion. And, you know, I've grown as, as an adult and become more in touch with my emotions over the years. Um, but I just, I just, this story really uh, reached me on a personal level. It's like I said earlier, there's a subjectivity to film that I can't debate. Well, there's a subjectivity I, I just, to this podcast. That's the whole point of it. I, I, no, I know. I'm, I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> I, I, from a from an emotional resonance standpoint, in in thematics, uh, to me, Wrath of I mean, to me, this just doesn't hold a candle to Wrath of Khan. I mean, this and, and again, I'm not saying this isn't a great movie. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I guess the problem I have too is it just ripped off so much from Khan. So to then call this the better movie just seems kind of like yeah. Well, it, like it's, I said, it just it's a, it just stole from it. I but, mean, but the real problem with your argument, Lance, is that you seem to think that Khan was better than the motion picture. Um, had I, had I done that movie, (laughs) which I wanted to do originally, Uh I tell you what my big problem is. My big problem (laughs) is I picked a movie and then Hudson ruined the show. No, it was your choice to you change ruined, your you pick. No, your if, I pick. if I didn't change my pick, we would have done two Star Trek con movies. Who wants I to hear that? I would love to hear about Yeah, con. that would have been very interesting. You are the only person. If we okay, had the time, three of I would still love to hear about con. But it doesn't matter. You haven't, you haven't answered my question. Yet. What was your question? 
My question is about the hole in your argument, which is that you seem to be arguing that Wrath of Khan is better than Star Trek The Motion Picture, which Jordan it isn't. Disagrees. I, um, I, I don't know if it is or not. I go back and forth. So, so to me, one thing about this well, then episode... you shouldn't have picked that anyways because yeah, you're not yeah. even sure that it's better than the original. Well, my next one, I'm not sure it's better than the original either. Yeah, but this so you my, didn't this do any point. of this podcast. Right? <laughs> I, 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 don't, I think for the first time in the relationship that I've known all four of us, well, that was the three of you. <laughs> You've known yourself. <laughs> For the first time, like Jordan took our side in an argument. Yeah, enjoy it because it's never happening. Jordan always takes my side. Shouldn't that tell you something, Jordan? Look who you're agreeing with: Hudson Potter and Gibby Pixar. I said I don't want to do this. Listen, I'm not. I'm not part of a party here. I'm. I'm. I'm issue to issue. There's a track record here, is what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, I agree with you there. I just don't agree with you. Fair enough. We don't always have to agree. Gibby, number one. So my number one sequel that is better than the original is titled The Road Warrior, Mad Max 2. Is that the full title? No. Actually, the title is Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Oh, really? In, yeah. in so Australia. My VHS they, copy says The Road Warrior. Right. That's all it says. But, uh, interesting tidbit, uh, for American audiences, they just took away Mad Max 2 oh. and just titled it The Road Warrior because Mad Max hadn't really come out in America. Okay, that's yet. right. It, they, people weren't I familiar believe, with like, it. In terms of wide release, Road Warrior was the first one released in the U.S. So, yeah, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. We've got a pretty easy plot line to, to describe in a post-apocalyptic future. A loner named Max. Let's see how crazy you can make it sound. Oh, yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> a loner named Max who drives an awesome car, runs across a group of people who have gas, and he agrees to help them transport it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> great, Gibby. A group of people who have gas. Gasoline. You might want to explain that a little. <laughs> a group of people. Why is it interesting that they have gasoline? They have gasoline because in the future, gasoline is a very hard-to-come-by uh, commodity. <laughs> this is already insane. Keep going. In a so, post-apocalyptic world where all they had to eat was beans. Yeah. <laughs> why don't you just it's go to I, why really just, bad there? Why don't you just go to IMDb? Because well, you, you guys, you guys have like a four and a half minute long description of yours, and I just want to at least Not true. do like I that. Fault. This guy does. Did, did he point at me? <laughs> Nobody <Yeah>. knew. <laughs> he just pointed at everybody. <laughs> Anyway, he agrees to help them transport the gasoline across the rugged outback to another post. And along the way, they're threatened by and chased by a group of insane meanie people dressed in WWE <laughs> wrestling gear and discarded. Oh, no, it's, it's, way, it's, yeah, it's way more BDSM. <laughs> than, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, so about many it. Nipples. That's, about, that's about the plot of the movie. Apparently, the only clothing that survived in the future was like in sex shops. Yeah. <laughs> 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 or like discarded football shoulder pads. Uh, that's weird. Uh, but, but I love this movie. And I remember watching it all the time as a kid, the TV version, of course. And I actually saw Mad Max a lot as a kid. Uh, and just for whatever reason, this movie just spoke to me, I think, because it's just relentless. Uh, there's no break in the movie. And now that I love when it. you say for whatever reason because it's like you hadn't really thought about it, which <laughs> right. is what we're doing here. Yeah. But then he lists oh, the no, reasons. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. he says the reasons. For, whatever for reason. these reasons, following <laughs> yeah, after I say this, and that's something I actually looked at. All three of my sequels are kind of like that. They just took the first movies and just amped up everything to expanded them. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you guys. I want to like these movies so much. They put me to sleep. Really. Road really? Warrior does? Road Warrior. The Fury original Road? Mad Max. Expect- no, I love Fury-, Fury Road. I think it's fantastic. I've seen it several times and I love yeah. it. But I mean, Thunderdome's crazy. We don't need to talk about that yeah. at all. But the first two, they really just 
kind of put me to sleep. I want to like them. I have the, I own them, and I I try to watch them. I can't ever make it through. A, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed about it. Like I I really <laughs> want to love these movies. And it's not an uncommon opinion for people to say the Road Warrior is a better movie. I don't agree. Um, I really like Road Warrior. I don't love it. I love Mad Max, and I think the reason I find this one to be inferior is because it kind of lacks depth of character. Mad Max is a revenge story, and and part of it is a personal thing. I just love revenge stories, and what that film does is it makes you feel Max's rage and his thirst for justice. So when right. When he gets it, it's totally satisfying. Whereas this film is more like a long action sequence, which is a lot of fun and it still works, but without the thrust of who Max is and what drives him, it falls a little flat as a standalone film. And I want to emphasize when I say standalone film, because I don't think it falls flat at all when it's taken as a companion piece with the first film. So this is one of those instances of a film that works, but I think it works much better with the first film as a foundation. Mm -hmm. So what you said about the first one being a revenge movie, and that's true, but the first one, the first 75% of the movie is just... There's nothing to revenge. Well, it's setting... No, but that's what's great about it. It's setting the foundation for what's going to happen in the completely insane third act. And it it makes you simmer in that world and get used to it and learn who Max's wife was and who his child was Mm -hmm. and why he left the... What is it? The... I can't remember the name. The street police or whatever they were. Street police. Street police. That's right. The SPs. Yeah. (laughs) I've only seen this one. I never saw... Well, I mean, I think I've seen Thunderdome when I was a kid, but I don't... I've never saw the original Mad Max. you never seen Mad Max? Mm -mm, No. Dude, no. you should watch so it sometime when you're out. very awake. Yeah. And I did like this movie, and I think it was, uh, I thought this movie was a lot of fun. Well, that's what's weird, too, is even I, I rewatched these movies a couple of years ago before Fury Road came out, and there's really not much in the first Mad Max that makes you think this movie is possible as a sequel, that this could come, and that George Miller didn't do a whole lot in the first movie to make you think he had this in him, you know, an hour and a half chase movie. Or, or that he had Babe Pig in the City in him. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Jordan, number one. So way back in the 1930s, a time from which <laughs> Gibby and Hudson have seen no movies. Yeah, I don't know if they know movies were made back then. Is this news yeah, to you guys? Yeah. That's not true. Wizard of Oz this was is, made this back is, then. <laughs> just that. This is during the rise <laughs> of the talkies. They made that in 39, and they didn't make a movie for 50 years until <laughs> Steven Spielberg came along. <laughs> well, so four years after director James Whale's 1931 classic monster movie Frankenstein. He returned to horror with The Bride of Frankenstein. Wait, this isn't the Bride movie with Sting and Nope, uh, nope. Oh. This is this is The Bride of Frankenstein. What, what, you're you're talking talking about. what reference are you making? The Bride? Yeah. What is Sting that? made of? It's a remake of The Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. I don't think most people mid 80s started uh, the lady from Flashdance. Anyway, (laughs) back back to relevant information. (laughs) So James Whale returned and created a film even better than its predecessor. The story picks up exactly where the original left off, but Frankenstein has survived the windmill fire and continues his coming of age. Dr. Frankenstein is visited by an old colleague, Dr. Septimus Praetorius. Septimus Prime. (laughs) Good one who inspires him to get back in the life-making game and create a female for his monster. Bride of Frankenstein, while based on the subplot of Mary Shelley's novel, takes the monster much further than the original film did. This time, we see Frankenstein's monster as a thinking, feeling, almost human being. This is not the mindless killer we are used to. In fact, the movie feels very much like splitting the original wide open and seeing all of the possibilities. Or, as Dr. Pretorius put it in a toast with Dr. Frankenstein, To a new world of gods and monsters. (laughs) And it is a new world indeed. So much, in fact, that the first 15 minutes or so hardly resemble the original at all. Mae Clark, who played the blonde Elizabeth in Frankenstein, was replaced by brunette Valerie Hobson in Bride. One can hardly be mistaken for the other, since 
Because since Valerie they, Hobson has different, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but they just think we got that. everything's yeah. different. All the sets are different. Like it's crazy. But once the story sucks you in, all of that becomes a non-issue. The monster meets a blind old man who teaches him to speak and communicate. And that's when Bride of Frankenstein really takes off. The monster himself delivers several of the film's most poignant lines. My favorite is... Such as... Con- <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of that. It's a great moment. But James Whale's monster masterpiece shines most brilliantly in the climax. The creation of the monster's bride, which she's only on screen for about five minutes. Wow, even really? though the, the movie centers around her. Uh, the title does, at least. While mirroring the life-inducing moments of the original, this film takes that inspiration and runs, and it's fever pitch perfect. The combination of camera work, sound design, and Franz Waxman's phenomenal score, all together a symphony of grunts and screams and explosions. This scene soars to new levels, a mountaintop from which the monster can deliver his final death blow. I'm really glad you included this. This movie's probably, I think, generally considered the first great sequel. And I think also the general consensus is that it's superior to the first one. I don't agree with that. I love the first Frankenstein. I do too. Because it has so much heart and tragedy and beauty to it. And the sadness of this monster coming to terms with what he is and being rejected by the society he wants to be a part of. The second film becomes like a comedy and it strikes a very different core that just doesn't fit the subject matter as well to me. I I think the the first one's funnier than this one. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah, I didn't find that much humor in this one. I found I found this one oh, to be I, much more I, I, I emotional. I found a lot of attempts at humor in this one. Uh, I mean, there are yes, there are attempts that that fall pretty flat. Well, by either way, that, it, that's a subjective viewpoint that obviously not everyone holds as evidenced by how beloved this movie is and how it's kind of generally again usurped the original in the minds of so many people. What I'll say though is that it was one of the first films to really capture the spirit of campy humor. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, and that's an admirable thing to pull off. And I suppose in a way that makes it kind of the first sequel to not only surpass its original, but also to become a completely different genre than its original, which was a risky thing to do at the time. And I think a few of the films we've talked about tonight, Gremlins being one of them, did that later. So in that regard, it influenced uh, later sequels to not feel constrained to be the same genre that the original right. was in. I don't really agree with it being different genre wise or, or any of that. I, I felt like this was a, an extension of the first, but that explored the territory so much further. But I was able to take this really pretty seriously. Yeah. It, it went places that I didn't expect it to go. Yeah, It's really interesting because James Whale didn't want to do this. He, they mm-hmm. begged him for four years and he finally did it and he had artistic freedom to do whatever he wanted. Interestingly, apparently that was easier because the studio head was on vacation for the entire production. <laughs> He was, he was traveling in Europe, so James Whale could just do whatever he wanted. But this movie also was very affected by censorship. It, it's only 75 minutes long, but the original cut was 90 minutes. So they cut out 15 minutes, and in those 15 minutes were 11 kills. The body wow. count in this movie was going to be 21, and instead it was 10. I thought it was going to be Frankenstein sex scenes. He's <laughs> yeah. you know, right. There actually was a 12-minute sex scene between <laughs> Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein where body parts are coming off, and it's it's really messed up. It wouldn't people, have, people weren't ready, and they're still not. There was censorship before they shot anything. They took a bunch of stuff out of, out of the script. One scene that sounds amazing that they took out in the script was Frankenstein running through the graveyard and finding a gravestone that was this giant crucifix with Jesus on it. And Frankenstein thinks that the Jesus is real and is trying to 
rescue Jesus from the cross. Hi. Been there. That's awesome. Gibby Hudson, what did you guys I think of this movies. movie? Didn't watch it. Oh, that's weird. Interesting. Because it's in black and white? I, I thought I'd we were to watching watch it. I'd like version. to watch this. Which you also did not watch. <laughs> right. But you guys should watch this movie. I would love to watch yeah, this movie. I would movie. like to watch They're it. They're never going to watch this. I've always heard, I've always heard good things. We'll see if we can find a Ted Turner colorized version for you guys. Yeah, you guys would love that. I'm not sure where this idea comes from that we don't watch old or black and white movies. It's just rooted in fact. One day they're just going to start stabbing us in the middle of the show. You realize that? Mm-hmm. Are you ready for that when that happens? <laughs> the three of us are going to start stabbing you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Uh, <laughs> I've lived right. a good life. Lance, you're number one. My number one is The Godfather Part Two. Francis Ford Coppola's Ooh. 1974 film picks up where the first Godfather left off as we watch Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, after he's become the head of the Corleone family. His story is intercut with the backstory of his father, Don Corleone, played by Robert De Niro, as we see the earliest days of the family, his rise from a poor immigrant to the head of a wealthy crime family that will eventually lead to Michael's ascendance. There's a debate in film circles about which is better, Godfather 1 or 2, and it will never... I think be answered. Uh, I, I don't think it can be answered. I don't. I, 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 don't, I don't know either. why people are trying to answer it. They're, they're both. Well, let me let me t- pretty much story, perfect. Right? Here's here's the answer. It's whichever one you watch last. That's the yeah. Answer. That's a great answer. That's I, a great answer. I can't decide. They're they're both just about flawless. Having said that, there are a couple things that make Godfather 2, well, I'll say it this way, that Godfather 2 has going for it that the first film does it. First, it's a more beautifully shot film than the first one. And that's not a knock on the first film, which also looks beautiful. It's just that this one takes us into more eras and locations that let Coppola kind of flex the full strength of his cinematography more than he was able to do in the first film. Second, narratively speaking, it's a much more impressive movie because it functions as both a sequel and a prequel. We see the seamless intercutting between Michael's reign as head of the family and Don's background story and how these two stories parallel one another. And whereas the first film it deals with a single linear narrative, this film has to juggle two narratives and balance them in just the right way, and it does so you know, brilliantly. Both Godfather films end in tragedy, but, but it's a very different kind of tragedy in the second one than it is in the fir- first one, and I find this to be a much more depressing film because the tragedy is so much more gut-wrenching. The way the first film ends where we see Michael becoming the head of family reminds me a lot of Darth Vader, where it's tragic because you've seen this pure, innocent character becoming corrupted and turn into that thing he swore he wouldn't become. But as audience members, we have this sadistic side to us to, that loves to see that. And in the same way we love watching Darth Vader put on the suit for the first time, we love watching Michael's hand be kissed as he's coordinated to the new Godfather. But in part two, we see a bad guy we love becoming something more sinister and evil and unlikable. And whereas in the first film, we morbidly celebrate his turn to evil. In the second film, we kind of mourn that loss of innocence a lot more. Yeah, I, I think part of it's morbid, but part of it is we want him to be good. We do. Like, we, there's this, I guess, chance that he will be a good godfather. Mm-hmm. I mean, good, as good as a godfather can be, but like his dad. And so we kind of expect that to happen. There, there's something about the end of the first film. We've seen him become evil, but we seem to almost like him more for it. In the second film... We've seen him get more evil, and I, at least me, I don't like him anymore. No, it's real hard to like him. Yeah. I mean, especially when he starts uh, being... Swearing, com- say swear words. Yeah. No, that part didn't bother me as mm. much as, you know, the violence against his wife, well, I, things I think, like that. Well, I think where it crosses, his line, it crosses the line, and big spoiler here, is when he, he starts actually killing family members. Yeah. Um, and that's where, that's where he kind of passes that point of no return, where he goes from a lovable bad guy to just a straight-up bad guy. It's frowned upon. <laughs> Overall, though, I, you know, it's hard to speak in hyperbole about this movie or either of the Godfather films. And yes, I said either, as in two of them. Ooh, you don't have a third one. There's um, definitely a third okay, one. Stop, and if you watch them all in one day, stop it. it's worth it. Well, let me ask you this, um, that you're going to get I'm mad at me sure for I'm not sure there's that many hours in a day. <laughs> <laughs> Gibby Hudson, this was made before 1980, so you probably haven't seen it. Uh, it was made in color, though, so you might have seen it. I don't know. Yeah, but some of it's in that, like, sepia color, which yeah, might not be feels thing. old. <laughs> They're about to stab us to death. <laughs> 
I don't care. You guys can continue with your lies and falsehoods. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen Godfather 2. What? I have seen the first Godfather. And you stayed up through the whole thing. It wasn't like you fell I asleep did. an hour I did. In. I watched it. And you weren't like, eh, it's pretty good. You weren't like, it's pretty good. Holy smokes, I've got to see more of How this. did you watch the first one and not immediately go watch the second one? I mean, you know, it's just not my thing. Oh my gosh. Good movies aren't your thing. <laughs> Genius isn't your thing. I mean, I, uh, I don't want to bore the pants off anybody by just talking about how awesome this movie is, but I just—I mean, it's just amazing. Well, this, this is the movie, and I'm actually, I actually am surprised to hear you say you didn't love it more because this seems to be the movie that even like people who everybody agrees on, yeah, that everybody agrees that this is yeah. one of the greatest films ever made. My number one pick, uh, best sequel, better than the original. We're going to talk about another superhero movie, and we're going to talk about another Batman movie. Talking about The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight is the sequel to 2005's Batman Begins, Christopher Nolan's Batman reboot. Batman Begins was a good film, a necessary, more grounded reboot introduced us to Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne Batman. Chris Nolan kind of asked, could this happen in the real world? And so I feel like he grounded Batman, and it's exactly what Batman needed after a series of um, consistently goofy uh, over time. It's a good point. But it did suffer from a weak villain, a boring love interest, a Mm -hmm. goofy bad guy plot, and the Mm -hmm. fact that we were forced to cover ground we'd already covered in just about every Batman movie mm-hmm. so far, which was the origin. I agree. But, you know, it was a critical and commercial success, so we got to do a sequel, um, The Dark Knight. And not only did he fix all the aforementioned problems with Begins, but it so far surpassed it that it's arguably become the best superhero film of all time. The real star of the show here is... There's a strong argument for that. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I can't argue against it. Uh, I will keep going. Yeah. The real star of the show here is the Joker, played by Heath Ledger in his last filmed role. So we'd seen Jack Nicholson before, but Nolan and Ledger reinterpreted the Joker as true anarchist. Uh, No attempt at explaining his backstory, or in fact, they gave different versions of his backstory. You're not sure if you're supposed to believe any of them. No attempt at empathizing with him this time. And so it created a question for Batman of how do you defeat a villain who wants nothing but destruction and is tied down to nothing, not even his own preservation. And while Joker gets most of the attention, I'd argue that what they do so great here is creating a great Bruce Wayne story as well, showing just how far he's willing to go to save his city, including sacrificing the things most important to him. It's a movie about heroes and how the hard part isn't the decision to become a hero, but rather the ability to stay one in the face of pain and destruction. And I think that's something that everybody really connects with, that we all have beliefs and goals, and we all know how difficult it is to keep those beliefs when they are challenged by failure and suffering. It's easy to mock superhero films as just fun and games, but when done right, they really are our modern myths. They're capable of asking big questions about the world around us. Every time I watch Dark Knight, I am impressed anew about how good of a film it is, mm-hmm. how well made it is, how it pulses, how it just Ooh, grabs you. Pulses. You like that? Yeah. That's a big word. Yeah, yeah, is that the big one yeah. that you weren't sure you're going to be able to no, I, I tried to say sadomasochist, but then I changed it to S and M because I realized I couldn't say that. Wait, what? Mm. In terms you of what just said it, you just said it. Great. I really like this movie. I also think it's rather overrated. Really? Yeah, for a few reasons. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, well, 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 first, of, like first of all, it's in color. Yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> I, really I, made after I mean, I'm the anti-Union Hudson. I hate things in color. <laughs> I really was, loved this movie, and then I found out other people loved it. It was, so. it was made after 1980. Well, I, hate, I can't yeah, get into it. Um, no, there, there are a couple of reasons. First off, I, I really don't get the obsession people would ha- have with Heath Ledger's performance in this. I, I think he's good. I think there are a few moments, especially in the first half of the film, where he's very psychotic and terrifying. But there are a lot of moments where he's just kind of silly and annoying, honestly. 
I, I mean, I that's did, part of the character. That's, 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 it's fun. Yeah, but that's not well. But he's not scary, and that, that's the problem I had with this. People act like it was just the most crazy, psychotic, awesome performance, and I'm sitting there going, eh, "It was okay." I think. I mean, I guess he's supposed to be scary. It's not Maybe necessarily I too many the, scary the way movies. he's acting is not supposed to be scary. It's what he's doing that's supposed to be. Yeah, scary. so you never it's know the, what's the coming. The world next. that he creates. Yeah, yeah well, that's yeah. fine. I just found him annoying at times. Well, I'm sure I, the Joker I, would be annoying. I find this opinion you have annoying. You can be wrong all the time. The biggest problem I have with this is that this city is made up of millions of people but their entire psyche is just monolithic like if harvey dent turns out to be evil apparently the city the city just can't handle it and will descend into chaos that doesn't make any sense so gotham's pretty fragile okay can you name can you name who can you name the district attorney of atlanta no no John, but also, John, nobody district. cares okay but no in this movie he set up remember he brings down that entire i mean he's in the news at the beginning of the movie for bringing down an entire crime family single-handedly so what what, what why so does that would if somebody in atlanta did that i'd know so, i'd know yeah, absolutely so, okay so somebody in atlanta did that and then they turned out to be evil we would all just descend into chaos it doesn't make any sense you don't know who the attorney general is you cannot care less if he turns out to be evil or not you just get a new attorney general they act like the attorney general holds sway over the entire future of the, the city the point is that he was a sign of hope in a city that was why that with the city that was hopeless at the time right. why was it hopeless it's just a city it's made up of millions of people you don't like, understand Batman or Gotham at all yeah. <laughs> I understand I understand it's completely unrealistic right That's Gotham but Gotham is this like very singular character this like damsel in distress that Batman always has to save okay that, that has like one solid reaction to everything so the entire city is hanging in the balance of what one or two people do well no but also what you're explaining here is batman's theory of what will happen it's not necessarily what will actually happen well that if, seems if to be what the out. film is asserting is that right. well, if, Batman's if harvey, asserting that. we can't let the people know harvey dent turned evil so if if the attorney general of atlanta became evil tomorrow would you and i call each other and go well i guess we got to be evil now this sucks no, this I'd call you and go, can we trust him <laughs> harvey dent <laughs> but Lance's argument points to a near fatal flaw in Lance's character, which is <laughs> he doesn't have a which is, but No, which is is his, his oddly misplaced imagination. Where <laughs> yeah, wondering about the social security. He's incredibly people. creative, but what he's creative in is finding all the problems <laughs> with you know gremlins or whatever else instead yeah. of. I, I will take a movie on its own terms, and this movie is trying to be realistic. So yeah. that, that's why I'm yeah. treating it like a realistic movie. But it's trying to be a, a gritty a movie realistic. No, but, it, but hang on. It's trying to ground and put heroism, a superhero, in reality. You can't make a, a fantastical movie like this that doesn't have some, some plot holes Again, in it's it. not supposed... I don't think it's supposed to be a fantastical movie. Though. It's that's about what they're trying the Batman. <laughs> a very realistic version of the Batman, not the Tim Burton Batman or the 1970s campy TV show Batman. In comparison to other Batmans, it is more realistic, but it is still about a Batman. Okay. <laughs> you, guys keep, you guys can keep creaming your pants over Man Dark Knight. like a Jeez. bat in Gotham City. And if so, is he on the police payroll? And if so, what's he pulling down? Half the taxes. Alrighty, uh, what are you guys excited about? I'm excited about this book that I'm reading called In the Blink of the Eye. It's either In the Blink of the Eye or In the Blink of an Eye. An Eye. Any, you, any eye. You didn't check out the Somebody's title eye. before you started reading? I did. I can't ever eyes. remember what. I looked at it this I mean, I read it some this morning, but anyway. It's either an or the, but it's by Walter Murch, who invented merchandise. merchandise. <laughs> Oh, we've already had this discussion. I know. Have we made a joke yeah. before? Right, where he invented merch and uh, rolling dice. Let's cut all this out. Um, no, he edited Godfather 2, oh. uh, among many other Cobla things and other, other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I believe directed Return to Oz, so which, which no one picked for this episode for some reason. 
I almost picked that from my childhood. I remember that being an awesome yeah, movie. Awesome. I don't know if it holds up. So um, this is a book about editing. This is a book about editing. I am excited about um, next week's podcast because we'll be finding, finally talking about something close to my heart, which is romantic movies. That's what I think about romantic yeah. movies. I'm excited about the moment that podcast ends and I never have to do that again. Yep. Uh, I am excited about a show that I found on HBO called Autopsy. If, you, if you're really into uh, true crime stuff, it's amazing. It's on it, HBO? It's, yeah, and I actually, I'd seen this show on there, like, listed on HBO now for a, year, for a long time. And I didn't want to watch it because I, I didn't want to watch autopsies yeah, happen. Yeah, that's what I've, but I've seen on But it doesn't show that. It doesn't show that. It's actually, it's it's a guy who does autopsies talking about the craziest cases he's ever worked in. So if you're into true crime stuff, check Pretty out cool. Autopsy. Pretty cool. Uh, you know what, guys? I'm excited about 2017 and the film slate coming out this year. We've got some good ones. Maybe. How would we With know? Logan, It, a new Nolan film, Dunkirk, new Edgar what's, Wright film. Wait, what's Logan? Baby Driver. Logan new is Wolverine. The, oh, they're going to make another Wolverine? Have you seen the trailer? Looks cool, though. The first two Wolverines were two of the worst yeah, movies no, I've ever seen in my cool, life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, sorry, this is like a, yet another time that I say things I'm excited about and Jordan immediately jumps in <laughs> and says, that's stupid. <laughs> Jordan, you have I don't to remember say, saying here's, stupid. Here's what you have to remember. Your book by Walter Merchant. Over and stupid. over and over, these guys learn the lesson that 80% of what comes out the theater every year is awful. <laughs> but they keep getting excited about it every year and you just got to let them do it. And you need to learn not to take Jordan's opinion seriously because oh, I don't. just just assume <laughs> everything that he says is not true. <laughs> well, guys, that's it. Peace out. 2017. Sorry, Gibby. Number one. It's okay. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. See you later. Thank you. See you next week. Hey, Lance, what are we talking about next week? Oh, hey, Gib. Uh, we're talking about a mass murdering spree, a young man faking his death, teenage pregnancy, assassins, cancer, and dementia. Oh, our favorite romantic movies. You got it, buddy. High five. This is Batman. Let us know how your list differs at, at @fightaboutfilm on Facebook and Twitter or email us at fightaboutfilm at gmail.com. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Four Friends Fight About Film is produced by the Brothers Ray in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was recorded and edited by Jordan Noel. Hudson Phillips, can he be trusted? Anything goes